2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what the Word of God has to say. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 is a text that was written by Paul to Timothy as a letter to instruct him in how he was to pastor and to lead the church. And this particular passage is often used when giving a charge to newly ordained uh, pastors. In fact, I've used this passage many a times when in the context of an ordination service or something like that. And it's it's a fruitful passage for that. It's a right passage for that. But I think we should be careful not to take passages like this that clearly have a particular focus and assume that they don't have a word to the whole church in general. We should not see this passage as only speaking, therefore, or applying only to pastors. The books of the New Testament, the majority of the, new, of the books of the New Testament were, were letters written to encourage specific churches and specific people. Thus, each letter has specific issues, challenges, sins, and, and, and circumstances that each of them are, are dealing with. But Early on, because those letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit and then instructed by the Holy Spirit, the churches that first received them recognized that they had value and worth um, and blessing to share with the entire uh, fellowship of Christians. And so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have in our New Testament today letters that may have been originally written to a specific person or to a specific church, but we understand that all of those letters and every word in those letters are beneficial, useful, and a blessing to the entire church. The point I'm making is this passage may be originally focused to Timothy and his work uh, amongst the church, but I think it has instructive words for all of us in the church of the living God. So I want us to give attention this morning to the mission of the church and its calling to preach the word. And, and to that end, here's how I want to divide our time together. First and foremost, we are called, we are tasked with proclaiming God's word. I mean, the most simple understanding of this passage, when the passage says preach the word, the church ought to be preaching the word. So first and foremost, we are to proclaim God's word. But secondly, I want to talk about the ministry of God's word, how we use the word to minister amongst each other and the world. And then lastly, I want to come back and understand that as we do this faithfully, it is for God's glory. Preaching the word is for God's glory, and it is for man's blessing. And so if we want to be a blessing to this world, if we want to, to encourage and bless and, and minister well to our neighbors and our community and our world, we absolutely must be about 
preaching the word of God. But let's begin with the, with the command to proclaim God's word. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul begins with a, a very clear command. In fact, he says, I charge you. I command you. I give you this, 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 this command. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. We understand, friends, that we are to proclaim the word of God because it is first and foremost the source of real life. Paul says in that first verse, I charge you in the presence of God of, uh, and, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Now, to understand this passage, it is helpful to back up just a few verses and read what preceded it. So, look up just into the ending part of chapter 3 and, and read the last two verses of chapter 3 with me. So, Paul writes there, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then upon that, he says, I charge you to preach the word. This truth, this truth of verses 16 and 17, that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, transforms your relationship to the word of God. Listen to me carefully on this one. If the Scriptures are anything else other than being breathed out by God himself, then you can safely ignore them. Did you hear me? If this is just ancient writing that somebody somewhere that you've never heard of put together, but it is not breathed out by God himself, then you can safely, without any consequence, ignore some part or the whole of what the Bible says. If it's not breathed out by God, you can manipulate it to serve your own purposes. You can take passages and, and twist them and, and use them to support your, your cause or your idea. If it's not breathed out by God, you can edit it and update it to, to accommodate modern sensibilities or to ignore things that you don't want it to speak about and to maybe add some emphasis to some areas that you would like for it to speak about. If it's not breathed out by God, you can reject it totally and completely and say it has no place in my life today, and I'm not going to have any part of it influencing me today. But if God, in fact, breathed out the Scriptures, then they are, by definition, a testimony of himself and for himself. To believe this as true transforms obedience to and passion for the preaching of the Word of God. Now, let, let me just say, I can beg and plead and stomp and yell all day long that the church ought to be about preaching the Word. But before you can get to obedience to preach the Word, you must first come to an understanding of what it is. And if you don't believe that it is breathed out by God, then nothing I say today will convince you. But if you believe that this is God's testimony to us of himself and for himself, for the testimony of the gospel, for the declaration of truth, for the glory of his name, then there's nothing I can do to keep you from preaching God's word. 
In response to verses 16 and 17, Paul writes verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Friends, the source of freedom from sin is the word of God. The source of hope of salvation is the word of God. The source of life in Christ Jesus is the word of God. The way we know that we can stand righteous before the judgment of God is only through the word of God. Therefore, the church must be faithful to preach the word that others might have abundant life in Christ. We understand that this is the source of real life. Therefore, we must preach God's word. It's the source of real life. And we preach it because we are motivated by truth. What motivates the church to preach the Word of God is not how our preaching is received, but the truth of which we preach. We presently are living in days when preaching the Word of God is becoming more and more costly. Now, you know, I, I recognize that our view of history is limited to our place in history. And so we see the world as it relates to us. I appreciate that. You appreciate that. So we tend to think that today is the worst it's ever been. I'm not so sure that's true. It's just the worst it's ever been from our perspective. We, today, we are growing, today the, the world around us is growing more and more hostile to the preaching of the word. But, but frankly, friends, none of us are, have had our lives threatened yet for the preaching of the word. So the world has always been hostile to preaching the Word. We are living in days when preaching the Word is becoming more and more costly in relation to previous years, but not in relation to all of history. There are currently efforts to criminalize the preaching of the Bible as hate speech. There are currently growing calls to weaken or remove altogether the constitutional protections in our own land to religious freedom. And let me just say to you here, we don't preach the Word of God because the government says we can. Did you hear me? We preach the Word of God because we believe it to be true. Now, I'm thankful for the religious freedoms and the protections thereof that we've been afforded, but let me be very clear. The mission of the church to preach the Word of God is not dependent upon or given permission by the government. Thus, if tomorrow preaching the word is outlawed, do you know what we need to do that very same day? Preach the word. If tomorrow it becomes costly to us to preach the word, do you know what we must continue to do? Preach the word. What motivates the church to preach the word of God is not how our preaching is received, but, but, but the truth of which we preach. Notice, Paul does not charge Timothy in the presence of the church. He doesn't charge Timothy in the presence of the community. He doesn't charge uh, uh, Timothy in the, in the presence of the religious leaders or the civic leaders or any other earthly authority. Paul charges Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. God is the author of truth. Jesus is the perfect testimony of truth. The church is the proclaimers of the truth to this world. We preach the word of God because it is true. The truth is all, the truth is that all will be judged by the measure and the rule of God's truth. God will judge the living and dead, not on account of what we think is right or wrong, but on what he has declared is right and wrong. 
Thus, we must be, we must motiv- we must be motivated to proclaim the, 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 the Word of God, that the church must preach the Word out of the conviction that it is absolutely God-breathed truth for us and for all of eternity. Proclaim God's Word because it's the source of real life. Proclaim God's Word because we're motivated by truth. Proclaim God's Word being prepared for every season. Looking down to verse 2, the first part of verse 2 says that we are to be ready to preach God's Word in season and out of season. This is a recognition that the needs and related questions of the world are always changing, but the answers are always found in God's Word. Now, one way to understand this is to understand that there'll be seasons when the Word is celebrated and there'll be seasons when the Word is, is not celebrated. But I think there's also an understanding that in every season there are different challenges, there are different questions, there are different issues that the world is dealing with. And in all of those seasons, we must stand firmly both to preach the Word and to understand that the answer to the world's questions are found not in the philosophies of men, but in the words of God. Today the world is struggling with questions of does personal autonomy have any limits? Can personal autonomy have authority over creation? What is the source and authority of morality? What is the value of a life? And how does, that, how does the life of another have, have value when it, con, when it conflicts with personal autonomy? How do you think about evil and the corruption of man? Can man control the natural world? Can man overcome the dysfunctions of, politi- of the political world? We're struggling with questions of the morality of new technology right now and just with the Olympics and looking at what happened with China and all the surveillance technology. What's the morality of technology that, 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 that takes away the loss of personal privacy and electronic tracking of people? Not to mention new medical procedures that some prolong life, some that are elective can maybe enhance life and, and others are, are doing some things that can never have been imagined when we think about re- reproductive health and all the rest. And how does those things, how do they fall under the testimony of Scripture? I've often said that the questions of today's church that we wrestle with could not even be conceived by previous generations or pastors. I've often talked with other pastors and I said, you know, some of the, the questions that we are answering today, our grandfathers, our fathers in the ministry would never have imagined that they would even be asked. But friends, I am convinced that the answers to the questions of today and of tomorrow and of every day after that until Jesus comes back are found in the eternally true word of God. Listen to me carefully. If the Bible is the product of man, then it is limited to the mind and the imagination of man. But if the Bible is breathed out by God, it is eternally true because God is eternally true. Which means you don't get to a day where we have outrun out-technologically advanced, or out in any other way paced the need for and the truth of the Word of God. Friends, the church must be ready with, with, uh, with in every season to give an answer with the Word of God. And we must never grow tired of saying, the Bible says. The Bible says. Proclaim God's Word. 
Secondly, I think we need to be about the ministry or ministering God's Word. It's not always easy to preach God's Word. Um, As a pastor, I, I will confess to you that I much would rather preach to a congregation that's happy to hear what I have to say than a congregation that's not. And I preach to both kinds. It's a little different when you get those stare back that are clear. They're not happy with what you're saying. So with that in mind, I want you to understand that when we think about preaching the Word of God, think about it in the context of ministry, ministering the Word of God. And it is by definition, therefore, a labor of love. In verse 2, we have the core command where Paul says, preach the Word. And Paul gives three ways that we are to minister God's Word. He says that we are to reprove, we are to rebuke, and we're to exhort. Now, to reprove means to to, to lay out, to indicate that something is wrong. So this isn't a sense of harshness. This isn't a sort of a condemnation, but it is a, a word of saying, dear brother, dear sister, dear friend, this is not right and does not hold to the standard of truth. Now, to rebuke has a much stronger idea. This is to express a strong disapproval of someone, to condemn, to call out, to, to, to rebuke. It's a much harsher idea. And then to exhort means to, to call someone to be encouraged, to consolate them. And that can both mean an encouragement to, to press on. So don't grow weary, keep going, press on. That's, a, that's an exhortation. But, but also sort of a, a consolation of sort of comforting and encouraging in, the, in, in, in that way. I believe that all three of these rightly are described and can be understood as a labor of love. I use the word labor here because none none of these come easy and all require effort and intentionality. Love, and I use the word love because the cost of all three of these are only expended out of a a true uh, understanding of love. The Bible says that fathers who love their children will discipline their children. In fact, one of, the, one of the evidences of a father that does not love their children is that they don't discipline at all. Thus, friends, it is not an act of love for the church to withhold reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. There are issues today that are arising that for the church to speak faithfully out of the Word of God is going to cause us to be in conflict with the world around us. We know that. We've already experienced some of that. But, but it would not be love for us not to speak faithfully to that. Did you know that we've had folks that have, that have chosen to, to leave our fellowship? Because, because what we said from the Word of God conflicted with the sin in their life. They were angry that we dared to say the Bible says this is sin in your life. Now, on a personal level, that breaks my heart when anyone leaves, and certainly it is always unpleasant when someone is angry or upset. But before the Lord, it would be an act of great hostility toward them to know they were living in sin and not say anything at all. It is a labor of love to minister the Word. The Word rightly exposes sin in our life, reproving us. The word condemns rebellion in our life, 
rebuking us. The word also encourages us in our weakness, in our failures, and in our struggles, exhorting, exhorting us to, to be obedient to the Lord. The church's love for one another and the church's love for our neighbors is expressed first by our willingness to preach the word in reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. And it's also a labor of consistent faithfulness. Every preacher, I think, has a dream, has a secret desire. And that secret desire and dream is that they can just preach one really good sermon, then everything's going to get fixed. All that dream, that great, that perfect sermon in time and wording and, and power and, and passion, that, that there's going to be a groundswell of revival and the whole church is going to confess sin and get right with God and all the lost people in the community are going to get saved. And Oh, if you really want to dream big, it's going to start in the church and then spread to the community and go as wide as you can imagine. If you could just preach that one great, amazing sermon, then it's all going to happen. Now, I'm not saying I don't want that to happen here. But what I am saying is that the testimony of history is, and the testimony of Scripture is that the health of the church does not come from one good sermon, but rather from consistent, faithful preaching. Notice how Paul instructs the church on who we should reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He says we are to do these things with, or how we are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He says we are to do these things with, notice his words here, complete patience and teaching. The ministry of the word is not a single event or one momentary experience. The ministry of the word must be consistent over the course of time. The ministry of the word must be consistent and faithful to teach the word without error. The church must protect the pulpit that the preaching ministry of the church is consistent and faithful over time. The church must give attention to the teaching ministry of the church that to keep it consistent and faithful over time. The idea here is not that we would have one great glorious moment, but that the over the course and the testimony of our ministry that we would faithfully preach and teach and, and, and handle the Word of God from beginning to the end faithfully before the Lord. For the fellowship members, we must be sure to be consistent and faithful to participate in the church's ministry of the Word, to, to be about preaching and, to, and attending preaching and be about Sunday school. Just as an aside here, Oftentimes in the life of the church, when people really get intense about being in church, I mean like real faithful, is when there's a crisis that comes up. Well, they really need to hear from the Lord. And so, praise God, they start getting real faithful about Sunday school and, and worship. I'm thankful for that. But can I just tell you that I don't know when or where, but I'm pretty confident that all of us are going to have moments of crisis in our lives. And the way you prepare for those moments is not frantic um, action in the moment but faithful preparation before they get there. And the way you prepare to respond to something biblically is not frantically trying to sense the, what the Lord's saying in the moment, but by being faithful to the preaching ministry of the church and the Sunday school ministry of the church so that when those moments come, you've been in the Word and are ready to respond. And the church must be consistent and faithful in its public proclamation as well to our community and to our world around us faithfully handling the Word of God. Now, there's one other thing I want you to see, and that is that 
The faithful preaching, the obedience to this command to preach the word is for God's glory and for man's blessings. So, two things here. First and foremost, there's a command not to weaken the word by pandering to the world's desires. Now, that's what the world desires, but that's not what blesses the world. So, word, so, excuse me, the world. So, look at what it says in verse 3, 4, and 5. He says, for the time is coming. Of course, we read this and go, it's already here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Don't weaken the word by pandering to the world's desires. Verses 3 and 4 recognize the ever-present reality of living in a fallen world, and that is that man desires to chase after his own passions more than obeying the word of God. That's nothing new. Friends, that was the issue in Genesis 3 in the garden, and it's just continued on ever since then. The end result of this is the world pursues the trivial with, while abandoning God's truth. When you will not endure sound teaching, you will eventually substitute what has eternal value with what is of trivial value. The idiom here that Paul uses literally means itchy ears. Um, we might say, you know, when, when we talk about somebody is talking about you, we say your ears are burning. That's sort of the same kind of idiom, that the itchy ears, you, you want to hear what you want to hear. Something that supports your idea, supports what you're doing already. It means that you only want to hear things that support your ideas and nothing that challenges you. This desire and pressure has always been on the church and will continue to be on the church until Jesus returns. This is nothing new, but, but in recent years, many influencers predicted that if the church did not bend on biblical truths, particularly in relation to human sexuality, that were in conflict with modern sensibilities, that the church would collapse and all the attenders would leave. And that was a strong case being made that churches needed to abandon biblical truth so that they might keep their attenders coming. There were, in response to that, some large, historic denominations that heeded this threat, weakened their preaching, abandoned the, the, the faithful declaration of the Word of God, believing that in doing so they could keep their attenders without any cost in the world. The truth of it is when they did that, they abandoned the very power that sustained them the world abandoned them even so, and today they are hollow shells of what they once were. They chased the promises of the world, but to do so they abandoned the power of the living God. Friends, listen to me. The Word of God is the only power to save. Do you hear me? It is the only power to save. 
Thus, in every generation, the church must preach the word. No matter the politics or the cultural changes, we must preach the word. We are not chasing, we're not chasing the crowd, we are chasing the glory of God. Do you hear me? And if a thousand show up today, praise God, but if only three show up today, we must preach the word. One of the things that I pray very often before I get up to preach, so some, there, there are prayers that maybe you have this thing too, that you pray so often that the longer prayer gets shortened down to just a few words. So for me, it's three, three hundred, three thousand. And as I'm praying that usually right before I preach, what that means is, Lord, if 3,000 show up, may I be faithful to preach your word faithfully. If only 300 show up today, oh, God, may I be faithful to preach your word. And if only three, me, my wife, and somebody else that shows up today, regardless of the crowd, may I be faithful to preach the word. Do not um, weaken the word by pandering to the world's desires. That does not bless man. Secondly, find your value, our value, and worth in God's approval alone. The temptation of every church and every pastor is to find value in how much the community celebrates what we do. As such, we often use the metric of crowd numbers to measure what has value and worth. We often equate large crowds with importance and significance. But but, but, but Paul uses two words in verse 5 that I think counter this idea. In verse 5, he uses these words. He says, be sober-minded. This idea is to, to not, it's a, it's, a, um, it's, it's a phrase that means, a figurative expression that, that means uh, to, to not being drunk. Probably this idea of um, not giving to, uh, being, being self-controlled, to be restrained, to be moderate in one's um, behavior, to be sober, to be serious-minded is the idea. And then the second thing he says is endure suffering. To suffer physical pain or hardship or distress is the idea. His point is, is that our understanding of value and worth cannot come from how much the world celebrates our labor. In other words, it can't be an ecstatic experience. It, 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 it can't be something that is always celebrated and cheered and, and, and rejoiced in. Our understanding of value and worth must not come from those things of the world, but it must come from what God honors and what God loves and let our, what we labor in honor the Lord as a gift and a testimony to him. God is glorified by the preaching of his word, and man is blessed by the preaching of his word. Don't weaken it because it won't bless man. Don't find your value in what man celebrates, but find your value in the glory and the testimony of God. The church must strive to honor God with the word above all things. Our mission, our calling in every season, in every generation, until Jesus comes back, is to preach the word. Have you heard about a new technology called deep fakes? It's a little scary when you begin to think about it and the implications that it could bring. So what is a deep fake? Well, with machine learning, you take uh, video clips of someone 
and audio recordings of someone. And machine learning can then recreate, kind of like Photoshop for videos and audio, it can recreate lifelike, real-looking video of someone that was not, it's not real. It was created out of a machine. It can create audio of someone that they never said, but it was created by a machine. And it sounds, if you ever see one or hear one, it sounds very real. Because the, the more video of someone that, that the machine can use to learn, the more audio the machine has to, to learn, it, it's, it's emulating, it's imitating their inflection, their, their, the way they speak, their, 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 their um, accent, and all the things, their, their, their body movements and everything else. And it's scary. Now, you think about the implications of that. First, it could just be used to ruin someone's reputation. So put a video out of somebody saying something or doing something that they didn't do and with social media and the ability of videos to go uh, global in, in a click in a few seconds that's a rather scary thing but just think about having uh, implications of destabilizing governments if you had a if you had a a president or a leader out there in video form saying something that he did not say uh, there was a report recently of a a, a german bank that um, was defrauded of quite a bit of money because a phone call came through of the president instructing uh, not the, the president of the bank instructing a transfer that the president never made. It was a deep fake audio recording that a, that, um, a thief used to, to trick an employee to make a decision. Now that's awful scary. And today the, the, the question is being asked, how do you combat, how do you respond to deep fakes? How are you and I to know when we're looking at video or listening to audio that's real or watching or listening to audio or video that's not real. Now, in the world of geopolitics, I don't have the answer to that, but I do have the answer to that when it comes to the Word of God because the church has been dealing with deep fakes since the beginning. There have always been those who claim to be preaching the Word of God who were not, who claim to be faithful to the Word of God who have not. There have always been, since the church began, spiritual deep fakes. And the question has, must be asked, how has the church, how does the church respond to and confront these deep fakes? The way they are confronted and countered is first by knowing the Word, so that when a counterfeit comes, it is quickly identified and recognized. There are some things today, if you were to tell me Dana said, I wouldn't have to call her up. I wouldn't even have to ask a question. I could, I could call that out to be a lie from the very beginning. I know my wife. I know some things that she would never in a million years say. And if you tell me she did, I'm going to call you a liar. Amen? How do I know that? Because I know her and I recognize a fake and a lie. So we first begin by knowing the Word of God. How do we as a church deal with deep fakes in the world world of the church and deep fakes in the world spiritual first we begin by knowing the word of god dear friends secondly we preach faithfully so that others can recognize counterfeits friends we have a ministry to our community we have a ministry to one another to faithfully preach the word so that we're holding up what is true so that when, when our community is confronted by things that are not true, they'll recognize it as such. And then lastly, for all of us, we must keep close to the Word so that when fakes come along, they're quickly, quickly identified.
This is the mission of the church, to preach the word in every season with all faithfulness until Jesus returns. Preach the word. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.